Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I am your host, Joe Thomas, and this is, of course, the last show before the new season. I think it's come around ever so quickly, and to be honest, probably a bit too quickly after some of the memories of last season. But here we are. We're going to discuss all the latest of the transfer news, the Chelsea game that's coming up, and, of course, some of the memories of the last time that Everton were at Goodison Park in the Premier League, which is, of course, the Crystal Palace game that I think will live long in the memories of anybody who was there. Now, I'm joined by my Echo colleague, Connor O'Neill, and I'm also privileged to say that we're joined by the BBC's John Murray today as well. There's a voice that I think you will all recognise when you're listening to this later on today and, and ahead of the Chelsea game. John, it's brilliant to have you on the show. Thanks for so sure. much for, uh, for, for coming on. No, pleasure. No, I'm looking forward to it. Um, actually, it'll be it'll be uh, my first match of the new season. And in actual fact, this season, um, we've actually, on Five Live, we've got the 5.30 kickoffs in the Premier League back. So um, I'm actually I'm quite excited about starting off at Goodison, but also getting those 5.30s back is, uh, is, is a bit of a thrill for us. Um, so, so, yeah, really looking forward to it. Well, obviously, it's... Um... I mean, we're still in the summer, so it's not quite going to be Goodison Park under the lights tomorrow. Um, but, I mean, there are many places. I'm sure, I mean, you've been all over the country, all over the world in your career. Just, I mean, just been to perspective, what, what, what is Goodison Park under the lights like for somebody like yourself? Yeah, do you know, I was actually just looking back because I know pictures have, have surfaced, haven't they, of just how things are looking with the, the new stadium and, and obviously progress is being made. So it made me think, actually, you know, really now time is running out and it is only if, if everything goes to plan, that's going to be two seasons. So this is the start of the penultimate season at Goodison Park. And, you know, it's a bit of a stereotype to say it, but it, there is something special about it because of that, because, because of how things have developed over the years and because of the fact that Goodison still has that that feel now that is quite rare when you go to a big club to to have that old-fashioned feeling i felt it last season at ellen road actually when i went back there again but usually now you do not experience that and every time i go there as i'm sure will be the case for all everton fans whenever they go it genuinely does put a tingle up my spine when they play the zedgars theme and they come out and and the atmosphere as it was in some of those games at the end of last season can be raucous and Goodison's such a big part of that isn't it absolutely and i think tomorrow obviously there'll be efforts to recreate that in, in the same way that inspired the team so much at the end of last season i think the the bridge that there was between that was built between frank lampard the players and the supporters was so crucial to helping everton get to safety connor obviously there's going to be efforts to, to welcome the coach again tomorrow i mean how, uh, how how difficult or how easy do you think it'll be to, to recreate some of that passion and intensity from the back end of last season in the hope of inspiring Everton in the new season? I think it should be a little bit easier in many respects because it's a fresh season and there's no optimism and, you know, there's things to be looked to, to look forward to and things to kind of go at. I think, you know, last year in terms of 
recreating the, the atmosphere that was created. It was more in kind of nervousness, I think, because the fear of Everton being relegated. I mean, you know, John just touched on there in terms of the penultimate season. You know, there was there was conversations going on between Everton and that, you know, at the end of last season might be the last time you see Premier League at Goodison, Premier League football at Goodison Park, because obviously, you know, two years to go, we all know this season would have been in the Championship and, you know, the Championship is an unforgiving division and you don't have any divine right to get straight back in the Premier League. So I think in terms of the atmosphere and you know, that carnival spirit, I think what we saw last year, I think that'll be a lot easier to, to recreate this time around because, like I say, I think it, the optimism has replaced the nervousness that we saw last year because I think, well, you know, everyone was right up for it. There was a, a certain amount of tension in the air because, you know, them games were huge for Everton in terms of staying up and, you know, every fan knew that Goodison Park was was going to be crucial in, in Everton staying in the Premier League. Now, you know, it's a, it's a blank sheet of paper, isn't it? You know, everyone's starting on zero points. You know, every, everyone's kind of got a lot to look forward to. So I think it should be a lot easier. And I think people could almost enjoy themselves a little bit more tomorrow well from the coach because the pressure's off. And although we all want to see Everton get off to a good start, there's not that lingering thought of if it just doesn't go well to say it could result in playing Championship football next season. Absolutely. It might be quite a nice coincidence, almost quite interesting the way that the fixture list has thrown up. Chelsea is the, the home is the first game of the season. I think for, for many of us who are watching Everton in the, the pits of that relegation battle last season would probably draw back to Chelsea. The home game, the 1-0 win with Richarlison's goal as being the moment that perhaps changed Everton's fortunes. John, I think that was your last time at Goodison Park. What was that occasion like for you? Yeah, um, I remember stepping out of the door uh, to to see to see what was happening, and actually everyone as well. When we were upstairs in in, um, in the in the main stand, there looking out of the window and down and seeing the sight outside um, on the street when the when the bus arrived and all of the smoke, and you know whether it did play a part or not. It, I, I don't know. I think that was the, that was the night as well that the Chelsea that there was the disturbance outside the Chelsea hotel, wasn't it? It was, which, yeah. which which got a mention. Um, I seem to remember, but you know, in the end, you know, I've I've seen that sort of thing before, and it can have no effect mm-hmm. whatsoever. But on that particular day, you know, whether it played a part or not, I don't know. What I do know is that you know there was a bit of spirit there, wasn't there? And. Mm-hmm. You know, if you remember how Jordan Pickford played in that match, I mean, that was that was the most important thing that happened that day. And I mean, what I saw of him towards the end of the season, he was in outstanding form. Um, but but I think I think that the feeling is different. As Connor says, the feeling is. I think the feeling is different because of the fact there's no Richarlison and because of the fact. There's no replacement, and because the fact that you know for the first few weeks of the season there's going to be no Calvert Lewin, so there is, you know, anything anything Everton get over these opening weeks, you know, if they're able to if they're able to to go on a run and be above par in terms of points against games, then I think that you know that does give them a little bit of a base, and who knows what's going to happen over the course of the remainder of this transfer window as well. Clearly, things are going to happen, aren't they? Yeah, of course. And I mean, you referred to Jordan Pickford there, and, and that's another parallel to, uh, between tomorrow and the last Chelsea game, because remember very much that, that he played such a... He came to the fore as a leader in the back end of last season for Everton, and, and no more so than in that, that Chelsea game where he made that incredible double save first from Aspicola and then from... Antonio Rudiger. I remember at the beginning of that match, just watching as the players came out, there's big banners for him on the on the Gladys Street end, as uh, pronouncing him as as England's number one. And, and certainly his his performances in that game and following that really, I think, 
strengthened his, his, his claim in, in that position. Obviously, tomorrow as well, with Seamus Coleman, the club captain, being injured, all the noises are that, that, uh, that Jordan Pickford will, having burnished his leader credential, leadership credentials in that campaign, will probably be the captain tomorrow. So it's another nice little parallel. I'll make one more reference to last season and, and, and then we'll focus on this and this is coming one. Connor, obviously, this is the last time in the Premier it's the first time in the Premier League since that night at Crystal Palace. I mean, what an unforgettable that night that was. You were alongside me, I think, in the uh, in, in the press box. Just, I mean, as an Everton fan, as an Everton reporter, how much have you looked back on those incredible scenes over the course of the summer? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not just over the summer, just this morning. I, I saw a video on, on, on social media that I, I, I ended up watching a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as a certain age, I can't, you know, you don't, you haven't made, have made, I'm good at nights. You know, there's people like my dad and my uncle and stuff. They've got Bayern Munich in the 1985 Cup and his cup, you know, there's other nights before that. But I think for a lot of young Evertonians and a lot of, you know, kind of today's youth generation, that was their big kind of moment, that big night of Goodison where, you know, to go back to what Howard Kendall once famously said, you know, the, good, the Gladys Street suck one in. You know, it, it was that type of occasion. And I think, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever forget, you know, when Calvert-Loon scored and, and kind of put my head down to type. And about 30 seconds later, looking back up and the pitch was like full of fans and thinking, bedlam, you know, like, and then obviously, you know, the, the scenes are full time as well. You know, I just think it was on the nights, wasn't it, where people just didn't want to go home, they just didn't want to leave Goodison Park. People just, I think if they said something like, you know, he said supporters to want to sleep tonight, many would have just camped up because they were just kind of that engrossed by what they witnessed and, you know, shell shocked at, you know, the comeback because, you know, let's face it, at half time of it looked dead and buried, you know, they were 2 0 down, mountain to climb. And although they weren't, wouldn't be relegated that night, the prospect of going to Arsenal the week on that weekend coming needing to get a result, knowing that they needed to win to keep the pressure on Tottenham to get top four, knowing how bad the kind of away record had been that season. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was almost as if many of Tonys had resigned themselves to the fact that, well, if we don't get over the line tonight, we're not going to get over the line at all and we will require the team to do us a favour. So I think it was just one of them nights that will live long in the memory. And I think it, it was kind of iconic in the sense of, you know, with Goodison kind of coming towards its end, it, that many, you know, many of today's youth and people like yourself of a certain age got to witness one of them moments that you can look back on in you know 20, 30 years to come and tell your grandkids like, you know, many, many grandkids like myself have been told about Bayern Munich and stuff like that. It was one of them nights. And I know people always question, well, we shouldn't have been in that position. We shouldn't have been fighting for survival. Whatever we were, we were in that position and they were fighting for survival. And, you know, one thing that no one can ever take away is the fact that the fans pulled, pulled that side over the line when it mattered most and, you know, rightly celebrated because of the hard work that they put in just as much as Frank Lampard and the players. Absolutely. I think I remember just after the final whistle, in, in my role, it's my job to to write the best part of a thousand words of a verdict piece that has to be ready within about 15 minutes of the uh, of, of the final whistle. I can just remember just being sat there at my laptop with all the chaos going around, trying to think, how on earth do I put this into words? <laughs> when all you want to do is essentially be in amongst the crowd. Obviously, that was last season, and now we're on the eve of a, of a new season. John... Everton had been quiet in the transfer market. It picked up a little bit last week with the, the loan signing of Ruben Vinagra and, and the signing of Dwight McNeil. It looks like it's going to get even busier as well. It's, it's touch and go as to whether or not a new sign is going to be ready for, for the Chelsea game. We'll know the answer for that by the time that this podcast is, is out there. But having watched Everton over the course of the summer uh, and seen some of the following some of the transfer activity at other clubs in the Premier League that were around them, I mean, what's your assessment as to where Everton lie and what what their ambition should perhaps be this season? 
Well, I think my assessment of where they lie right now, with, with everything taken into consideration, and, and I know there's, there's a lot of talk around that um, the, 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 the effectively signed the uh, the young midfielder Anana from from Lille, Idrissa Ganake, whether he's going to be a part of it. Certainly, if they get those two, then uh, you know Anana is clearly a player who has got promise, but Idrissa Ganake has got real quality in that position. But as we're talking now, you look at, I feel, you look at every match over these opening weeks, Chelsea for, for starters, away at Aston Villa, home to Nottingham Forest, newly promoted. I mean, if they get a, a strong start, Brentford away, I think they've done some interesting business, Leeds away. <laughs> I mean, it is, isn't it? You look at all of those games and you think, oh, that's tricky. That's tricky for Everton. But um, I think maybe the expectation will help. And also the fact that it is the first, you know, it's an, it's it's the start of a season for Frank Lampard for the first time with that club. So he's, he's been able to do the work that he's wanted to do to get to this position. So I think he'll have a clearer idea of what he needs and how he how he wants to operate. And and I think a big thing that you can look at this either way. I think a big thing in Everton's favour is that. Frank Lampard needs this to work. Yes. He, you know, it's so important for him, him, his prospects, his career. So if it works for him, if it's good for him, it's good for Everton as well. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewellery. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I think that's one of the things that probably look at Everton from lots of different perspectives that it doesn't matter whether you look at the board, whether you look at the manager, whether you look at the players or whether you look at the fans, regardless of anybody's motives in any of these situations, all of them want the same thing, which is to do Everton, you know, which for Everton to do well and perform better on the pitch. It's, it's clear that there's been a, an increase in activity in the transfer market and it does look like Anana is, is very close to signing. I mean, obviously that's a, I mean, it's, it's a significant change in tactics from Everton in this transfer window, having spent most of it operating, apparently operating on a on a shoestring budget. Um, but obviously it's something that's going to bring some much-needed excitement to supporters. And obviously the return of Idrissa Gay, well, he does, as a player, he does strengthen that centre midfield. So that will leave them in a strong position as well. But perhaps the, the biggest news of this week is less in what might happen in the transfer window and probably more in what's happened to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Connor, we've seen Ellis Sims go out on loan. We've seen Lewis Dobbin go out on loan. We know that Solomon Rondon is suspended. Just how significant do you feel that Calvert-Lewin's loss? It does look like it's probably going to be for, for most of this month as well. Yeah, I think if you'd have asked Frank Lampard what was the worst news he could have been greeted with before the the start of the season, it would have been Dominic Carvalho, you know, picking up an injury and being ruled out for a month or so, and they'll certainly open a month off the season. It, it's it's, it's gut wrenching, I think, for Everton fans is, is the way to describe. It. I think you know, after last season, in terms of you know, he's after such a brilliant start under Rafa Benitez when he got three and three, he then spent you no know, so long on the sidelines, 
you know, injured and then came back and played a part towards the end of the season. Obviously, got the goal with Crystal Palace. You know, he was pretty open, wasn't he, in the summer in terms of you know the struggles he's endured and how he found it really difficult in terms of watching watching on and not being able to play a part uh, for Everton. But I think, yeah, I think in terms of the news, it, it's it's you know it's the worst possible outcome for Everton because he's the one player, you know, probably except with the exception of Jordan Pickford, who Everton are relying on. You know, they they they've got no goal threat. You could almost say right now this minute, um, you know, Richardson's gone, Calvert Lewin out. It, it's it doesn't look great in terms of you know goals and attack and play. And I just think in terms of him as well himself, you know. He almost needed to kickstart the season to make sure he was on the plane for the, the World Cup in Qatar because, you know, last season he certainly found himself on the outskirts looking in terms of the England squad. You know, people have been moved ahead of him just simply because they played more matches. And he kind of felt that he needs the real strong start of the season to put himself back in, Scarif Southgate's thoughts and, and, and plans. And, you know, for him to be hit with this type of injury, you know, so close to the start of the season as well, you know, a couple of days before, it is just, you know, like I say, it's gut wrenching. And I think, you know, he, he leaves a massive hole and a massive. You know, void that no one else can fill the club. You know, there's no one else who can step in and you know, fill the shoes. No, Rangnick should be back for. He'll be back for next week at Aston Villa. But you know, you're asking an awful lot of him to be able to do what Calvert Lewin does, Frevet and bring to bring to Frank Lampard's side. What 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 Dominic Calvert Lewin does. So yeah, I think it's it's the worst possible news any Everton fan and Frank Lampard could have been hit with. And you know, I, I think you don't want to start the season on a downer, but I think it certainly dented people's optimism uh, on the week that they had going into the new campaign because I think many thought well. You know, it's just a, a case of trying to get through August the best we can and, and hopefully get Dominic Calvert-Lewin back fifth for September and, and get him firing because like we saw last year as well, when he come back, it's to take a bit of time to get back into the groove of things and get back, you know, anywhere near the best that we'd seen the season before under Carlo and Stotty when he had his most, most prolific spell in front of goal. So it does leave the Blues short up top, but, you know, Frank Lampard's been dealt this card now and it's up to him to come up with a plan of how Everton you know, can attack Chelsea and get at Chelsea. Uh, on Saturday because, like I say, they, they've got no forwards. But, yeah, I think on the whole, it was pretty gut-wrenching. And I think, you know, there'll be a, a lot of kind of disappointed faces around for Jafar that this is this is occurred and this has happened because it just seems, you know, the look, typical of the look that Calvert-Lewin's had over the last 18 months that, you know, he finds himself again watching off from the sidelines instead of playing. Feels typical of the luck that Frank Lampard probably had at, at Everton as well. You think back end of last season, which is injury after injury and, and controversial decision after controversial decision. And you think had at least some of them gone his way, Evans may have been out of peril a little bit earlier than they eventually got to. Now, I think I think Lampard would have sought additional forward recruits even before Dominic Calvert-Lewin's injury. If you if we saw the, the the quotes that he put in after the defeat to Minnesota United, and I know that was only a pre-season friendly, but it was quite clear that following the loss of Richarlison, that Everton needed more forward options. And I think that's a view he carried over from from last season. Now they signed Dwight McNeil since then. They almost certainly need to sign somebody else. John, one of the things that Frank has alluded to quite a few times during his pre-season, I've seen other managers do it as well, is is the is the unusual makeup of this summer with the sense that you have a slightly shortened pre-season after a slightly longer season, particularly when you consider the the, the internationals that started at the beginning of June. We then have the World Cup in the middle of, of the season as well. I mean, how much different do you think this season's likely to play out for the Premier League clubs? And and how do you think that would likely impact a manager's thought process going into the start of the season? It's almost as if you almost have, have like a, a fake start to the season where you have five games where because the transfer window is so open, because 
so many clubs perhaps leaving business so late that you almost have a you have a phony war going on where the real season starts in September. Well, I mean, first of all, I think in an absolutely ideal world, the the top clubs, Premier League clubs, wouldn't be flying all over the world playing pre-season friendly tournaments. And I mean, some of the travel is, it has been incredible, really. Um, you know, and that's the thing that that's the thing the managers will never mention when yes. the talk comes to the demands on the players. But I do understand it because of everything that happened during the pandemic. You know, there are there are money has to be made up, and that is a that is a great way to um, you know spread the brand as to use the to use the phrase and and increase revenues and earn money. Basically, that's what that's what it's all about. So there's that. Then there's the fact that the season starts earlier, then it ends later. What's going to happen during the World Cup, and certainly for the top players and the players who who are involved right throughout the World Cup and to the latter stages? I think it means well. Clearly, we've never had a season like this before. That's ahead of um, uh, ahead of us in the Premier League, and I and I feel that there is every chance that certainly in the aftermath of the World Cup maybe all running all the way to the end of the season. I mean, you could see genuinely unpredictable things happening, um, coupled with the fact that everything is crammed in. Champions League, you know, consecutive weeks, one after the other after the other, to finish those group stages ahead of time. Obviously, the League Cup's thrown in there as well. So I think all of that means that there are a lot of unknowns about this season. And I think you could potentially see that particularly in the sort of months, six weeks after the World Cup. Connor, I think um, when you think about how unpredictable this season is going to be, well, obviously there are normally some winners amidst the, the chaos of unpredictability. Everton go into the season, looking ahead to the World Cup, at the minute you'd say there's only Jordan Pickford who's, who's heading out to Qatar. The big question would have been whether Dominic Calvert-Lewin could have forced his way into Gareth Southgate's plan, and obviously his injury will, will hit him on that. When we have a congested season after the World Cup, obviously one thing that Everton won't have to contend with is, is, is Europe either. If they can strengthen the squad, and bearing in mind that the Frank Lampard and his coaching staff have, have had a, a full summer with the players now, do you think there's any chance that Everton could actually be a bit of a surprise package or could ha actually maybe use some of that unpredictability to, to their advantage? There'll be one of a few squads with hardly any players out for the World Cup. So that's effectively a six-week window in the middle of the season where they can assess and work on things and give players a rest if needed, for instance. Yeah, I definitely think they can be the surprise package. There's no reason why they can't be. I think you look in the Premier League in, in, you know, in history, you know, there's always a surprise package. There's always some, someone somewhere crops up where you don't quite you know, pitch them being, whether it be at the top end of the table or the bottom end of the table. I see no reason why it could be you know, in the, the top end of the table you know, in a, in a position that no one maybe thought they would be in. I think in terms of the, the World Cup and, and the, the rest, I think only form at that time will tell. Because I think if Everton got off to a really good start and, you know, the, the kind of top 10, you know, top eight, you know, eyes on the top six, for instance, you know, when at that time, November comes round when we do stop the World Cup, I think Lampard will be frustrated because you want to keep playing. You want to keep, you know, momentum going and you, you want to keep that, build on that momentum that you built and keep going and, you know, everyone's chomping the bits out there to stop for six weeks is, is a bit of a blow. I think the opposite side of that is if you have a, a ropey start and you're not quite firing, the fact that you can have a six-week pre-season effectively with a large part of your squad and work on things and go over things and, and almost start afresh on, on Boxing Day, 
is it a boost? So I think in terms of having been a surprise pack, there's no reason why they can't be because you know they do have some talented players. You know, they do have some good players. You know, they probably have underachieved the last couple of years some of the players that they've got. I think as you know, as John alluded to earlier as well, you know, they get a Dressigar again and Onana in from from Lille, for instance, that improves the squad straight away. You know, if they can get maybe another forward player in before the window shuts or in the next couple of weeks or so to, to, to boost the attack options, that's another big boost. So I think they've certainly got you know no reason why they can't be looking to you know break the top ten because like I say, they've got some you know talented players and players who probably underachieved a little bit. But I think in terms of the break, I think if you you're flying high, I mean I was talking to someone in football last week about it, and, and they like it almost the, the COVID pandemic when when the pandemic hit. I think it was nine week. They had a nine week layoff. I think or ten week layoff between games finishing and starting up again. And you look then, you know, teams were flying high when the season was, you know, unfortunately halted due to the, the pandemic. You know, never really got back into the groove of things when when it restarted. I think Sheffield United were one who kind of tailed off and, and never recovered. You know, the, the, the season later they they ultimately went down. Whereas Aston Villa, if you remember, you know, they'd been bastard. Just before the pandemic, football stopped for the pandemic, but then used that ten weeks to regroup, get themselves back going, and end up, up stayed up that season with a, a kind of late season revival. So I think it depends on what position you're in, is, is how you will, you will you will view it. Because like I say, I think if Everton are flying high and you know picking points up and winning, and you know momentum's high and morale's good in the camp, Frank Lampard will be gutted that he's not, his will be playing for six weeks. But if they're on the ropes and they're struggling, they've got a few knocks like we saw with last year at times where you know they were. Struggling for bodies almost in terms of you know the injuries were piling up. They'll be extremely grateful for the six-week break because it'll give them a chance to reset, work on things, and go again. Obviously, you know Everton are off to Australia aren't they, as well in that time, and I suspect they'll be doing a few other other things to keep players ticking over. But the fact that they won't have the competitive nature of the Premier League will be a welcome relief if they do find themselves in that position. Must admit, I use surprise in in context uh, of last season when when I think of Everton and and obviously. Yeah, there's, there's potential there for them to do a lot better than expectations. I think over the course of the summer, I've seen a lot of people suggesting they'd be in another relegation fight. And I think I think they'll avoid a relegation fight. And I think it might surprise a few by you know, perhaps pushing towards the breaking into the, the, the top 10. I think, um, John, obviously we saw last season was was, was a terrible season for Everton. There's, there's no way of, of, of buttering that up. For them to, for a club of that stature to have ended up in a relegation battle that came so close to catastrophe as it did was, you know, it was unthinkable at the start of the season. Bear in mind what happened last season, and we can probably consider this question without necessarily knowing the full extent of the of what happens in the transfer window. What do you think would represent signs of progress for Everton in this campaign? I think if they could get a top-half finish, I think from where we are now, as we speak now, I think a top half finish. Plus, I think you want encouraging signs in there. You want you want you want to be able to look at what Everton are doing, and 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 thinking, I can see where they're heading, you know. And and so I think that's an important thing that you see that you see positive signs that um, you know they will be heading towards challenge because th- that's what Everton fans have been expecting and hoping for since Farhat Mashiri first bought the club. And I mean, to say that it's faltered is is such an, an understatement. I mean, everyone knows the figures. I mean, it's extraordinary, really, that, you know, that a, that a football club can, can spend as much money as that and yet be where they are now. So I think, I mean, you'll know better than me, Connor, but I think 
you know, Everton supporters are looking for any crumbs of optimism that, that they can get out of this season, the way things are just now. A coherent strategy, I think, would be uh, that there's visible on the pitch and everyone can see that's playing out, I think, would, would, would represent significant progress. Absolutely. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Connor, how important do you think the patience of the fan base is when it comes to that? Obviously, we, we know what a fantastic attribute supporters can be at Goodison Park for, for Everton. We also know that last season was challenging and this season may well bring its own challenges as well. And for, for Frank Lampard and his coaching staff, their rebuilding project, it, it may well take time. Even even if Everton get a couple of signings over the line in the next few days or the next few weeks, obviously it's going to take time for them to bed in. Particularly with Anana, it, it would take time for him to, to bed into the Premier League if they bring him into first team action straight away. How much do you think patience is, is important to you know, Everton fans giving Frank Lampard patience for his plans, for his strategy to develop and play out? Yeah, I think you, you described that very kindly there, John, in terms of the atmosphere, because I've always said Goodison would be the best place in the world to play football, but the worst place in the world to play football at times, because we are, and I think, you know, you'll go back last year, you saw that, you know, we all saw that with our own eyes, didn't you know, there were some great, great moments, but there's also some very toxic moments where, you know, things unfortunately turned nasty and, you know, fans kind of voiced their opinion and, and made their feelings quite clear. I think in terms of patience, I think the, the best thing Evan have got this season in terms of the patience and what is a lot of the fans really buy into Frank Lampard. They're really behind him. They really buy into him. They hang off every word he says. It's probably the he's probably the first manager I've seen, probably since David Moyes, who's had that real fan connection where, you know, people will give him benefit of the doubt. People, you know, people will kind of, you know, almost kind of takes it on the chin, not not kick off, not make no voice their opinion, because they can see you know how much it means for him. They can see the work he's putting in to make it work. You know, he's he's extremely honest. I mean, you know, Michael Ball, our columnist at the obviously a former blues fullback, he hit the nail on the head, you know, a few months ago in one of his columns last season when he, he said, you know, Frank's realised you can't kid Evertonians. You, you can't you can't kid them, you know, that 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 you know they're intelligent, like most football fans, you go watch the team every they're intelligent football fans, they know they know the stuff, they, they know what they want to see, and you can't kick them. And I think that's the big thing with Frankie, he's been honest, he's been open. You know, when things haven't worked well, he's you know, he's been honest. I think some of his comments that have landed in hot water certainly helped him with the fan base. You know, I think you know, back to Anfield's certainly post match when you know there's no mark of if you know if Salah goes down like Gordon did at, at the cop end of the penalty. That's what every Everton fan was saying on the streets. So he, straight away you got that, you know mirroring what the fans are saying. So I think in terms of patience, I think you'll get a lot more patience than what we've seen with the previous managers. I think Everton fans want this to work. I think ultimately Everton fans don't want to be recruitment going through another managerial process where the manager's sacked and they're on the hunt for someone because, you know, like we've all we've all seen and we've all wrote about, you know, where do they go next if it doesn't work out? Because they've, they've tried every or they've tried every possibility from, you know, under five years reign from the experience, the high-profile name, the young up-and-coming coach. They've tried everything and it's not worked, so they've got to stick with Frank, they've got to give him time. And I think, you know, you look at the transfers and, and, and people who are coming in, there's particularly just going to get out the, out the, out the equation for, for argument's sake, but, you know, it's young, hungry players who've probably got a point to prove, which is what Everton fans have wanted to say. You know, they don't want big money, high-profile players who are, you know, probably here for the wrong reasons. And I think they've also got a manager who's young, proving, prove, trying to prove a point, because ultimately... There's still question marks over Frank as, as a manager. You know, 
he, he done well at Derby, got some playoff final, but then you know Chelsea was a little bit hit and miss. Things didn't quite work out, and you know I think John alludes to it earlier in terms of this has got to work for Frank Lampard as much as it's got to work for Everton because it's almost like much last chance to do for him in terms of being a Premier League manager because if it doesn't work out for Everton in the position they're in, where else is he going to realistically get a job in the Premier League that is you know of high caliber? I think you know Everton is about probably the best that Frank Lampard could have wished for at the time when he got you know in terms of big club, big fan base, and and looking to try and move up the table. So I think it's it's got to work all parties, and I think. Fans will get behind Frank Lampard. I think they will give him time because I think already they can see signs that he wants to change things. You know, he, he's, he's already kind of working behind the scenes. You can see the way his man management skills and stuff. He is keen on changing things. I think change was needed. So I think they will give him time. I think they're buying into what he wants. And I certainly think, you know, it'll be a, a long time until we see the, the toxic scenes that we witnessed towards the end of Rafa Benitez's tenure, even though it was ever so short last season. I think uh, you talk about some of the comments that, uh, that Lampard made. I think I was a reporter who uh, asked a question whose answer ended up getting, costing him £30,000 last season. <laughs> <laughs> so I might not have made eye contact after that fight came through and I saw him next. John, obviously you'll have seen Lampard throughout his playing career um, and obviously what a wonderful talent he, he was and, and won everything in the game. And you'll have seen his early years, the early stage of his managerial career as well now. How how have you made his transition from from player to manager? Has, has there been anything that has particularly surprised you or impressed you, or you know, do you think he have you seen glimpses of the attributes that could enable him to succeed as a manager? I would have liked to have seen him get a little bit longer at Chelsea, but yeah. uh, Chelsea is Chelsea, and I mean, if they can do that to Frank Lampard, they can do it to absolutely anyone, and they do do that to absolutely anyone over on, on a regular basis. Um, I think there were positive signs, certainly in the way that he wants to play and, and still this Chelsea team, this Chelsea squad, you know, has got a lot of Frank Lampard all over it still. I, I think for his position, you know, when he moved into management and made it clear that that's where he wanted to go, immediately people are talking about him potentially being an England manager. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, surely that would be a, 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 an ambition of his. For that to happen now, he's got to be successful with Everton. He's been a... He's been a uh, a, a championship manager with Derby and and did relatively well. He's been a Premier. He's been a Champions League manager with a team right at the top, which didn't work out. And now he's in a position with Everton, where he's in. A, you know, let's be honest. They're in a they're a bottom half club who mm -hmm. just avoided relegation next season. He has got an awful lot to do now over the course of the remainder of time that he will be at Everton to prove that he's got what it takes to be to be the, the England manager. So that's how much it's on the line for him. I spoke to him over the summer uh, about this. And I think he's very much brought into the, the vision of this being a project, of this being something that he can, a club that he can pick up when it's at a low ebb and he can help kind of create a structure and, and build some positive momentum over the course of a couple of years because, you know, as, as you allude to there, I think however good a manager he, he, he may turn out to be, at, at the moment, you know, he needs to do well at Everton to get any shot of a... And if he does well at Everton, he may not want to to, to, to move out elsewhere. It's, it's a massive club and if he was to lead it to, to any kind of success, I mean, he, he probably is already iconic on Merseyside following... What happened at the back end of last season if he was i mean he'd be a hero if he was to deliver any kind of success to to everton connor heading into the start of the season we've got chelsea 
tomorrow. We uh, we always end these things with with predictions. It's going to be a really interesting game, but no doubt it's going to be an entertaining game. It's going to be fantastic being there outside the stadium beforehand when the players are welcomed by the fans. Uh, in which such incredible scenes again. How confident are you feeling for tomorrow? And can you give us a prediction? I think I was certainly confident at the start of the week. I, I felt, you know, the good snapshot might come back. I'm not going to lie, the, the Calvert Lewin injury news did burst that confidence a little bit because I thought, well, that's a blow because obviously there was a, I would have liked to have seen, you know, some like cooler ball up against Calvert Lewin to, you know, to see, to, to really put him under pressure and give him a test. I don't think that, obviously, you know, the suggested Deli Allen played in the false nine. I don't think he'll probably give him the, the aerial threat, certainly that Calvert Lewin would have. Um, but I think, you know, it's an 5 5.30 kickoff, you know, Goodison Park, first game of the season, that much feel will be good. And I have a, a hunch that I think it'll be 1 in Everton, Deli Alley. Absolutely fantastic, John. man, isn't it? You know the former, the former Tottenham man coming back to you know by Chelsea. It's himself <laughs> sometimes, don't think in football. So, John, it'd be fantastic to, to have you at Goodison Park tomorrow as well. I mean, you know, can I, can I trouble you for a prediction? If if Everton get get something out of this, I think that's an acceptable start. If they get yeah. if they get a point out, I just think with Chelsea. There's a lot of pressure on Chelsea, and there's been clearly a, a huge amount of change at that club in the at the at the top of the club. But they've spent a lot of money. They've now signed Kukurea. I mean, this this you know interesting deal that they've done with Levi Colwell going the other way. But, but you know, in terms of the transfer fee, that's that's a bigger transfer fee than they spent on Raheem Sterling, who who they brought in. You know, so he he he's the, I, mean, I just think the players that. They've brought in very interesting, could potentially be vulnerable because relationships are still being made at the back. So that's something. But whether Everton are able to take advantage of that under the circumstances, we'll see. So I think putting all that together and some of the attacking talent that Chelsea have got, I mean, I was I was making a note my notes this morning. You go through and just go, it just goes on and on and on. Um, you know, if only Everton had that those sort of resources at their disposal. So I, I think a point from this for Everton would be would do them fine. I think a point would be a very good result as well. I think it's very much a case of it's two sides that are in trans, two clubs really that are in transition at the moment, and both of them have had roller coaster summers. We've had Chelsea with a takeover that has happened, and we've had Everton that have been subjected to takeover rumours that, that haven't happened, as, as well as many other things. So I think I'm going to go for one all in my prediction, and I see that very much as a, as a positive result for Everton, hopefully, a foundation from which they can build on for the rest of the season. Well, obviously, we will be back on Monday. There will be podcasts with all the fallout from what happens on Saturday night and hopefully with some news of some new signings. Thanks ever so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And wherever you are in the world, we hope you have a lovely day, a lovely evening. Thanks very much for joining us. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.